Oh, hello, all you beautiful body, mind, soul seekers. Before we launch into today's episode, I am so excited to be telling you about my very first online event, the Witchy Women's Circle, on the 21st of March, the Spring Equinox. Now, as the name suggests, this is a women's only event. I'm sorry, guys, but this is a space to celebrate the sisterhood a sacred circle where you will be seen and supported in a way which feels like true medicine for your body, mind and soul. Tickets are £11 for you and a soul sister to come along to encourage anyone who may be feeling a little unsure or who has never been to a circle to try something new. I've got you. You can click the link in my Instagram bio or go directly to Eventbrite. Tickets are on sale now. Okay, so with no further ado, let me welcome Brian D'Souza onto the podcast where he is talking to us about the psychology of sound and introduces us to his new project, a new wellness sound app, Swell. I do hope you check it out, folks. Brian D'Souza is an award-winning sound artist, DJ, music producer, and live performer. His compositions fuse field recording from around the globe with electroacoustic production techniques to create acoustic ecologies that are centered on exploring the psychological and physical benefits of sound. He is about to launch a sound wellness platform, app and service, Swell, which I'm so excited to hear all about. So welcome to Dr. Body, Mind, Soul, Brian. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Brian, you have um, such a holistic experience with sound and you always seem to be drawn to its relationship to wellness. So even way back to your uni days, studying the psychology of sound and now with you circling back to developing this sound wellness platform, can you kind of outline the principles that underpin this relationship between sound and health and how it's thought to all work? And then sort of how you use these principles to inform the work that you have been doing all these years? Yeah, the interesting place to start. I mean, I think going back to my early days um, of being interested in sound and music, you know, what the wellness thing um, as an industry, as a concept, didn't necessarily exist. So it's interesting to think about how, um, you know, I've been on this journey and I've ended up at this place here um, looking at, sound and wellness and um, sound within, I guess, the field of, of health. But I think the thing that underpins it um, has always been an interest in sound and, and obviously in particular music, you know, one of the ways in which sound manifests itself, you know, from a kind of human relationship perspective and how music in particular, you know, affects us as human beings in so many different ways. And it's a lifelong pursuit for me. Um, I've I've come to realize, you know, um, because the more and more I learn and research and uh, work within this field, the more doors open up um, to the possibilities and to a lot of things that are are generally kind of unknown. And it's that kind of, um, you know, the the level of of kind of um, the depths, I guess, of music that we don't fully understand yet um and sound so i use sound and music interchangeably um and and obviously you know music is 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 a component part of of sound and uh 
and vice versa. So um, we'll try and just ride that one through this this next uh, this next little conversation that we're going to have. Um, but yeah, ultimately the um, the the effects of music on well, firstly myself, you, you know, was the thing that kind of sparked my interest. You know, right back from my earliest memories and memories may be a good place to start you know music triggers memory or memories are formed often our earliest memories are you know based on 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 music that we've listened to and that could be an artist that i remember dancing around like you know seven years old at a kids party and my friends you know listening to michael jackson um and the music his music at the time like really resonated with us. Um, I remember listening, you know, in at Christmas time, actually from having this conversation now in December. And, you know, a memory I've got back to my childhood is in my, my parents' living room, putting on their vinyl records and, you know, getting to know the kind of music that they like. Um, so there was a lot of kind of like entryways into, into music that have helped like form really strong kind of associations for me and memories throughout my childhood that I, that, that, that stay with me, you know, probably forever. Um, and, you know, following on from those earliest memories, it's always been um, something that's been with me. It's the soundtrack of my life in essence, that it's been with me at every juncture, every important part of, of my, my youth, my adolescence and um, into my adulthood in terms of how I've formed um relationships you know as you know um you know i met my my wife you know through through music you know in, in a queue to a music venue um i've met my best friends through through music and uh, building up a relationship through that um and you know i've I, music has also helped me kind of explore like different cultures you know break down language barriers etc um and really has this sort of very amazing sort of transportational kind of effect where you can learn a lot about uh, a different culture from, from just listening to their music. You know, even if you don't understand the language, you've never heard the kind of instrumentation, you know, there's this kind of innate kind of music learning. I think we all have the different degrees as human beings that gives us, you know, this entry point into music. So, and this is the beauty of it is like at one level it's, extremely deep and there's a lot of unknowns and how it actually works and affects us in, in a myriad of different ways we're only just beginning to kind of discover but at the other side it's this immediately accessible medium that we have to bring us joy to uh, you know evoke different emotions instantaneously to bring up memories you know to affect our brains and bodies in different ways and i just think that you know that is a it's it's a phenomenal thing that that we could probably do a better job of acknowledging, you know, and I think that as a society, you know, we look at music probably largely speaking as entertainment, um, something to accompany our daily activities, you know, whether that's cooking or running or, you know, cleaning the house or driving and whatever. Um, but it's so much more than that, you know. I think like for me, you know, following on from just an early passion into music discovery and learning about different artists and different genres and you know the the, the this sort of historical or even political kind of like you know framework that those genres or artists kind of like operated within um it led on to sort of studying psychology and um you know with my psychology degree it was to look um, as much as possible really within like sound and music and how that would affect um us in in, in so many different ways so from that kind of educational background, 
I guess that led me on to, you know, my professional experience, which is, as you mentioned in your introduction, you know, as a music performer, as a DJ, as someone that is able to stand on stage and, um, you know, play to a crowd and build up a rapport and, um, um, uh, with, with the audience that's there. And then on the other side, I wear a different hat, which is running a music consultancy business, which uh, called Open Ear. And we work with different brands, um, businesses uh, across retail, hospitality, um, you know, other sectors such as uh, fitness and wellness as well, um, where we help them with the music that they play. And the interesting thing about that to just consider is just the ubiquity, I think, of music, you know, across. It's played literally like everywhere. Um, you know, there's some crazy stats around how we, we, you know, some of us probably are on average listen to, you know, six hours, eight hours of music every day, you know, and that's music that we choose to listen to. But largely speaking, that's music that we're, we're just subjected to, you know, wherever we are, if it's uh, in public spaces and commercial spaces, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So I guess the, the sort of fundamental kind of driver for me is kind of trying to understand what all this music is doing to us, um, how it's affecting us both positively and negatively and how we can really kind of harness its power, um, you know, to, 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 yeah, to activate it in a, in a positive sort of sense. Um, and just, just to complete, you know, and bring us right up to date, you know, that's then in the last two or three years has led on to like um, a greater desire for me to really explore like music within the general field of, of health, um, how it can be used positively in that kind of sense. Um, and, um, and, 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 uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating um, um, field of field of research that we could go into. So, you know, for me to, to continue my education in that, I, I trained as a sound therapist um, and I learned a lot from that, that was an interesting kind of, um, you know, follow on from the understandings and learnings that I had as a DJ, as a music performer, there was a lot of similarities within that. And obviously playing up to all the kind of stuff that I learned through my music psychology and also masters that I did in sound design as well. So yes, a whole field of different, different elements can be unpacked from just purely looking at music and sound. And something that strikes me is that you sort of mentioned there's a sort of differentiation between music and sound, but in some ways there's a huge crossover there. What would you say are the similarities and the differences to how we can think about what is music, what is sound, and how each of those spheres maybe interact with us differently or the same? Yeah, I, it's an interesting thing, and it's it's almost a philosophical kind of um, question. I mean, Edgar Varese, one of the earliest kind of electroacoustic composers back in the 1900s, you know, said that the music is is organized sound, you know, organized noise, and so so that introduces the kind of notion that music is is a is a human creation, you know, and I think it's interesting you follow that line of thinking because. Um, you know, music isn't just something we have in the UK, in the West, or, or whatever. It's it's you know it's a global thing. It's it's found in in, in all cultures. Um, if you look at the kind of evolutionary kind of uh, perspective on it, you know there was bone flutes found tens of millions of years ago, whatever, like a long time ago. So the earliest man and uh, uh, humankind had you know, the need and desire or, or, or you know, the objective within their societies to, to, have a mu- to have music, you know. So, and then when you put the kind of, you know, the, the historical evolutionary kind of um, 
perspective and bring it up to date, you, you know, there's a there's a debate that's gone on about how music actually predates language. So language learning in terms of like, you know, our vocabulary or our voice or, or, you know, fundamental ability to communicate is inherently musical. So the musicality of like a children's child's uh, infant speech, you know, uh, how uh, an infant starts to develop language is based on, you know, the earliest experiences that they have of listening to sound. So when is that? That's in the womb. You know, we start to be able to listen in the third trimester in the womb before we're born. And what does a what does a what does a uh, what does a baby hear um, at that point? You know, it's it's the 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 mother's you know rhythm rhythms of their speech. You know, her, her speech patterns. You know, and they're picking up that rhythm and that 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 you know how speech is is kind of communicated without being able to understand or even hear the words or whatever. So, you know, they will be hearing in essence, are a rhythm. So we're all rhythmical beings, um, you know, right from the earliest days of, of our, of our, of, of, of when we're born. So that's an interesting thing to think about when we just look at the importance of like music as, as kind of music, musicality, kind of like uh, from that perspective. Um, when you think about like sound, I mean, you know, all sound, all music is, is, you know, inherently vibrations, you know, and, um, you know, sound waves that are created through movement, um, and uh, all of those sound waves are, are, you know, mean something to us. You know, it could be like traffic noise that's created. It could be um, na- nature sounds, water, bird song, etc. Um, you know, and it could be, it could be, it could be music. And obviously, we've got very sophisticated when it comes to music making. But there's been studies done and going back to the point about you know how, how universal music is you know there's been studies done where the similarities across cultures um in terms of not just having music as part of that culture but also the types of music so breaking it down to four forms of music lullabies um you know songs to get you to sleep healing songs um uh, music to dance to for for for, for rituals and um uh, and and ceremonies and things and um uh music to you know uh, marching songs so to music to to fight to music music for for war etc and stuff so you know video obviously it's hard to sort of class anything as being fully universal um but you know we're as close to to that point as as probably any kind of um anthropological study could do um which, uh, which which is just to like pull together and aggregate all the different studies that have been done over the last whatever 50 60 70 years and say yeah this these are the similarities of like music within all different cultures and we have um you know the, the need in essence um within each of our cultures to create these styles of music to connect with each other you know and obviously that goes back to the point around the earliest man around the campfire communication tools between tribes etc um and things like that so you know Music is organized sound, um, and it's our ability to be able to communicate music and, and make music meaningful, make sounds meaningful that create music. The organization of sound around meaning is what makes sound music. Is that yeah? I think yeah. it's to do with the, I think it's to do with the, the authorship. Like music is is you know 
I mean, it's a very philosophical thing, right? But but yeah, in essence, music is um, is, is 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 most most normally authored by a composer, a musician, or someone that's that's the protagonist, and they are organizing sound in a certain way to communicate something to their audience. Um, and I think that's how I would define music um, as opposed to sound, which. Um, is uh, is all around us um i think the point to make about sound is is it's 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 very much a perception perception thing right so you know this kind of classic kind of saying of like if a tree you know falls over in the woods does it make a sound well it doesn't if if there's no one around to hear it because the, the, the you know it needs the ears or or, or someone there uh, a, a life form to be able to you know interpret that sound that that sound has happened and that sound wave hits the ears and that's what in essence is is creating the sound so um yeah it's very much a perception thing and it's a relationship thing it's a relational thing that's yeah it's a really it's it i'm really i'm really getting i'm yeah i'm really it's so it's so interesting the, the way that you describe and as you say we take it so for granted the presence of noise and the presence of music intentional and unintentional in our lives and the impact it must be having and I'm struck by the the I guess when you were talking about us in neutral and receiving sounds and the vibrations through which we are receiving the the sounds I'm really curious as to what you know around healing vibrations you know we talk about um we talk uh, you know it sounds such a hippy dippy phrase <laughs> and it's used so i guess loosely in pop culture but i'm so curious to know as you say it's such a prime our relationship to music is so primal and it helps us and accompanies us through our lives whether that through across culture, it sounds like. So whether that be to motivate us, to send us to sleep, to um, sort of uh, there's sort of a coming of age. I'm, I'm thinking of artists like who are in the very now, like, you know, um, Beyonce, Taylor Swift, Adele, master communicators, and they're speaking to a huge audience with enormous resonance um, across the globe in many, in, in these women's cases. So there is really something very powerful around the communication, as you're saying, through music with with a strong intention to connect and to accompany and to um, help us help us explain our personal experience. So on this in this in this way, we've got such a universal experience, as you're saying, but such a deeply personal experience as well happening at the same time within music. Um, And I think that when you're talking about memory, it really stirs up images of you know neural pathways being activated just very strongly as they do very strongly with the sense our sense of smell as well unlocking memories and personal experiences and meanings that we attach to different sounds and perhaps music and how we can use these sort of mechanisms I think that's what your intention it sounds like is with swell for example to really harness as you say the power of sound which is actually so ubiquitous and the scope through which sound really informs and accompanies us in our lives 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it's, it's this common thing, and I think it's one one of the reasons why I'm so interested in this field because I do feel like it's ignored, and I feel like you know one of my true callings is to try and is to try and communicate that to a wider audience. And certainly, you know, every time as I, I talked about earlier, you know, it's just every time I unlock another sides to music and sound it, it gets me deeper down this rabbit hole of 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 finding you know ways and uh, of which like music can affect us or sound can affect us in 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 positive and negative ways and i think that 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 should be something we we speak about more and understand more in general as, as cultures i think i'd say a few things in terms of that i mean obviously we live in a visual culture you know we think of going to see a film you know, but you're not seeing a film. You're you're also hearing a film. You know, it's it's uh, and any director will say it's fifty percent of the you know the the, the com- communication within a film, the story is is told through through the sound and the music stuff. So that's just an example. Um, you know, when when it comes to the work that I've been doing in my personal journey with this, you know, like my my company Open Ear is a music consultancy, and we work specifically using music with different brands. Um, you know, within retail hospita- hospitality spaces in particular. And in essence, we're trying to allow them to tell their brand story through through a combination of songs. So every song is a communication. Um, every song, you know, um, you know, is, 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 is a myriad of different things, you know, uh, contained within it. And that that's the things that you were talking about with, with Beyonce, you know, obviously it's very much her music, but it's also what she as a person represents you know, through herself and what she embodies, et cetera. And that, you know that that carries a lot of weight and a lot of meaning, and especially with her and her audience, and 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 are instantly recognizable songs. You know, of course, that creates a massive impact. So, you know, you uh, any of the brands that we work with might want to associate themselves with with her and her music, and therefore, you know, she's an obvious candidate to put into into a playlist and and to be delivered into the store or any kind of touch point that that brand might have with their audience or whatever. So. That sounds, I mean, maybe to a lot of your listeners, that sounds perfectly an obvious thing to do. And certainly as an industry, you know, music, background music, you know, in-store music has, has existed since the birth of recorded music. But at the same time, I think that there's a lot of brands that certainly, you know, haven't done this for 15 years. They haven't really been aware of this. You know, when I started this company 15 years ago, there was a lot of brands that just were putting on the same old generic kind of stuff. And they would spend and invest tens of thousands, millions to make their spaces look really nice and and you know visually be attractive and 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 be unique and that was one of the key kind of like drivers for you know the design of their spaces from a visual point of view but then with the music or the sound they would just be really generic with it and um not really think that it was anything that should be you know that could be different or should be different or whatever what we've seen over the last sort of 5 years or or 10 years even like um is this birth of 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 the digital platforms and streaming such as Spotify and YouTube, et cetera, where you basically, as a listener, have every single song at your fingertips like really easily. And then therefore that's helped over the course of time to really kind of expand people's horizons when it comes to music and 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 you know allow them to really just not be so swept up in pop culture of the what's in the charts and what's 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 now but really kind of try to form their own identities through music and that could be some of the things we've talked about already it could be music from their childhood music their parents used to play and that could be very personal to them it could be music that they listened to on their first date or when they met their loved one or whatever um 
you know, or it could be stuff, uh, you know, around artists or cultures or music or themes or or even countries where it particularly resonates with them. You know, music that they've heard when they've been on holiday, music that they've that their friends like, etc. So there's all these different ways in which we as human beings connect with music, and I think a lot of that's done innately, and we kind of like all have the abilities and tools now to be our own kind of like personal DJ and to create a soundtrack that kind of like works for ourselves, and we all kind of like you know, have a basic understanding of like how we can select specific songs or specific playlists to fit in with the activities that we're doing throughout that day, you know, hosting a dinner party or, you know, doing exercise or whatever. I think for me, it was like, okay, I understand all that. And I've got, you know, we've had 15 years of experience of doing a really great job with the brands that we work with and delivering a service in terms of that. Um, but it was like, well, what is the next stage? And the next stage was really just to unpack music Um or a song into its constituent parts, which then gets down to like the frequencies and the vibrations and the sounds. And the way I approached it was to go and study, you know, sound therapy and train as a sound therapist. And that was really like um, an interesting journey for me because it was all about how not just, you know, a composite kind of like piece of music affects us in all these different ways. It was like, well, how does these specific frequencies or ways of playing um, a variety of different instruments. And, you know, you're obviously aware of like the typical kind of like sound therapy, sound healing kind of instruments that are used, such as the, the you know, the, the Himalayan singing bowls, the, the gong, et cetera. And it was about trying to understand like what it is about those instruments and the way that the sound therapist kind of manipulates the frequencies that those instruments emit um, to affect uh, an individual or a group of individuals in in a certain way. And normally, for the case, you know, the first first port call for for going to a sound bath, for example, is is obviously relaxation. It's a very relaxing experience. Um, when you look at it from a sort of more therapeutic sense, the sense of things, it, you know, it does have the potential, and it does actually, you know, there's a lot of anecdotal evidence in terms of the positive impacts of. Um, sound from you know from a, a therapeutic sort of standpoint you know and that could be everything from you know um, uh, calming people's anxieties um, you know reducing stress levels um, and and just giving people that point of you know detachment chance to, to sort of self-reflect the mindfulness um, um, tools to be able to really kind of like you know dig deep into whatever's creating kind of mental blockages within their lives and I think, you know, obviously that's the thing that's been interesting for me about your podcast in particular, because as you mentioned, there's a lot of stuff hippy-dippy, as you said. And, you know, I was coming at this, you know, from from a kind of more, well, certainly from a kind of music and culture kind of perspective of just being interested, as we've said, on, on music. The healing properties is st- stuff that I, I know how powerful music can be to affect audiences. You know, I see that when I'm DJing. I see, you know, people dancing, being in the state of euphoria. I can you know, innately understand that, you know, almost the opposite could be achieved, you know, with a different way of playing, which is in essence what I've learned through sound therapy. If, if you know, the way I look at it is if, if a DJ set is, is you know, using music in a combination and in, in an order to, to bring people into this sort of state of almost euphoria, you know, um, and it can do things like, you know, dissolve time. And so you're lost in that moment and you're in the state of flow. And we can talk about flow in a second, you know, because it's been a big thing that has always resonated with me through my career. You know, my, my DJ name is 
is is anti flow, so it's it got flow in the name, and 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 I was always you know through my psychology reading Mahai Chicks and Mahai and all the, the you know his work around around being in that optimal state of flow and stuff, and uh, you know certainly it's an experience that I've had when I'm performing and when you're in that kind of moment where you know blurred edges. Um, you know, as I said, time kind of, you know, dissolves away and you're just in that, that moment. And that's, that's your human flourishing or, or pure happiness, I think, and um, whichever way you want to describe it. And I think like when I started to study sound therapy, a lot of the stuff that I'd learned, like through my DJ career could be applied into the sort of therapeutic use of sound, you know, for example, you know, the initial kind of way a sound therapist will, will typically play is, is is to, you know, if you're using a gong, is to play the gong in a certain way where the, the playing or the hitting of the gong will slow down over the course of a few minutes. And by slowing down, very simply, you will entrain, you know, the, the, the listener into a deeper state of relaxation. So the intention would be to go from a very kind of active awake state, you know, beta, brainwaves, and you're training those brainwaves to go down into more like a sleep state, a theta, you know, delta would be sleep. So the so the way that a sound therapist, sound of the way that I I was I was taught to play was you first of all have to entrain the listener into that into, into that you know um, uh, more relaxed um, um, reduced brainwave state, and that to me is it makes perfect sense, right? Because um, I know through the work that I've done as a DJ and the work that we do as a music music consultancy is we can we can you know a body will naturally tune into the tempo of the music you know it's like we chew in times of the music for example you know we tap our foot and we just don't know we're doing it you know if we want in, in with the restaurants we work with to make sure that you know they're turning over tables faster because it's a busy service we'll play faster music you know if they want to keep them longer because it's a quieter afternoon and they want to have encourage them to stay for a coffee or whatever um we'll play slower music and it's, it's it's a very simple kind of like you know um psychological kind of thing with music where it you know we we, we will you know naturally just tune into the the the, the rhythm part of the tempo of the music so that's the first thing with sound therapy that i learned is like well it's just doing that but it's not speeding people up it's slowing people down um the next stage of a of a, of a sort of sound therapy um or sound bath would be to use uh, an instrument that um you know such as the gong this is why the gong is so perfect which has a very rich harmonic spectrum so you're talking about full frequency you know like spectrum of sound and that i guess that's what helps to create this kind of like bathing effect it's the sound waves literally are washing over you um and as human beings we're always trying to detect patterns and you know that's why pop music the most effective pop music is 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 so effective because we get this earworm in our heads and it's like just uh, you know a melody that's stuck in our brains for the rest of the day and we're humming it and stuff like that it's the opposite in sound therapy um so you're trying to use like non-repeating patterns so when you're playing the gong obviously you don't really have any kind of mel melodic elements to it and you're creating this very rich harmonic spectrum that the brain is kind of listening to trying to work out like where's the pattern but you know ultimately failing because there isn't one um and that's what then again you know, makes it feel very relaxed because it, in essence, just gives up, you know, and it just lets it, you know, the, like receive the sound. Um, once you're in that sort of state of, of kind of deep relaxation, the kind of the intention is to try and trigger a kind of altered state of consciousness, you know, so you're in that kind of sleep state or prior, prior to sleep state and you really want to, almost like a psychedelic experience, um, 
where you know the theory is that you can um start to explore your subconscious more so your your very active brain you know dissolves away very similar to meditation as 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 you'll be aware you know and you can really start to kind of look look much more objectively at your at your at your life and 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 everything around it um so the way that you know uh, a sound therapist might work in that sort of phase of 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 a sound bath would be to use different intervals you know classic kind of musical technique you know you've got a perfect fifth which is commonly regarded as very harmonious very pleasant you know very very warm and uplifting so you you know you 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 you'll play maybe you'll use crystal walls or singing walls or some sort of instrument that's more tonal than a gong and you you'll play off these intervals which create these very kind of like warm rich um um uh, intervals and 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 that really resonates well with to, to you know to, in essence to hopefully bring out some happy thoughts within you and happy emotions and things but then you might as a counterpoint you know also use more dissonant intervals you know like a tritone or a minor second or something um where you know we all and it's come back to this point about universality of this like we all pretty much like um, we'll listen to a dissonant interval and feel a little bit more uncomfortable. You know, we'll feel a little bit more on on edge, um, and that's not to be that's not to be delivered in a kind of like in a negative sense. It's just like that might help the emotions to kind of come out. That that's, that's that helps us to explore like these blockages or whatever that's been 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 been. You know, just we we just bury um, and. Um, by giving the the space, you know, for you as a human, as you 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 in the session to be able to um, reflect on 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 these kind of things, uh, you know, in this safe space, in this in this kind of like overall kind of like really warm, rich experience of a, of a of a gong or sound bath, um, you know, can help certain certain people to to really kind of like um, to to yeah to to, to help with their uh, any kind of like mental mental health issues that they might they might have. Um, so I think yeah, it's 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 really interesting. If you want to dig a little bit deeper, as I've heard, you know, in some of your previous you know podcasts, it's like you know what is it doing actually to the brain in terms of like you know the hormones and the neurotransmitters and stuff like that. So it's it's you know it's a it's, it's a really effective way to kind of like you know reduce you know stress hormones and things like that. Um, you know, release dopamine and, and stuff as well, and and you know these are you know, things that we all know when we're listening to music that it can trigger these kind of responses within the the nervous system, um, um, uh, positive and negative and stuff. So, so yeah, that that to me when I started to learn about sound therapy and and, and the kind of the, the you know the process that a sound therapist goes through within a gong bath, it made perfect sense to me because there was so many resonances uh, and so many similarities um, with, with all the stuff that I already knew about with, with music. So you really, it sounds to me like you always are, have been aware of the impact that music has on you and you've then been able to manipulate it in various ways to control the mood in the room you know, whether that's been through your DJing or through your consultancy. like, And now it's so interesting that you can, you're applying it in this completely different way. Um, and I've been to a, a sound baths and I've had no awareness of the process through which, you know, I'm being guided into a, a into a different state. You know, I've been learning a little bit about active and passive relaxation and when you 
when you move into this active form of relaxation, so you're going somewhere to actively relax. And as you say, the mind can just give up. The ego can just lift for a minute and you get to observe a little bit more about your own experience. And what I'm really loving to hear is that just by chiming these different chords, memories are going to be triggered innately because as you were saying, there's just such a strong attachment to sounds within our early experiences and throughout our lives that then that triggers some sort of feeling that then is process is allowed to process. Whereas when we're normally in our active um, lives, if we don't take these pauses to stop, we are unaware of all of the feelings that are being buried in the subconscious. I mean, I think I think more than 70% of our experience is subconscious. There's just so much going on beneath yeah. the beneath beneath the chatter of our minds. Yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, your point around 70% subconscious. I mean, I read a book, um, David Eagleman, the Incognito, as you know, that was that was that was the what the book was all about, you know, how much our subconscious actually drives us and is is much more important than we often give it credit for. And um uh, so I'd recommend that book. Uh, I think like what you're touching on, and I think it's, it is part of the basis of, I guess, your podcast, uh, you know, is this kind of like, you know, the, the intersection between East and West, you know, and, and this kind of spiritual dimension with it um, um, that, you know, you can look at Chinese or, 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 or Indian or, or, or any, you know, so, so many different um, approaches Um and I guess, you know, the way that I've always tried to look at it is, you know, with an open mind and, you know, to look, try and find like the empirical evidence. And what I've found within, and, you know, maybe this this has been something that your your listeners have found as well, is, you know, within sound, there's, there's a lot of, um, you know, you just go to YouTube or Instagram or whatever, and you, you, there's so much sort of psychobabble around like, you know, magical healing frequencies and, um, you know, the, you know, a specific frequency is going to like heal your, you know, your mind and body or whatever. Um, you know, I've tried to like really dig into some of those um, theories and frequencies and, and memes, as as it were. And you know, there's there's not an, there's not an awful lot of evidence, you know, relating to specific frequencies. You know, and and I, I found in particular one of the things that, that kind of comes through a lot is this kind of idea of like tuning systems. You know, and um, uh, you know, Western music is tuned at 440 hertz. You know, that's the, the middle A is 440 hertz. And all musical notes are a relationship derived from, from 440 hertz. And and this magical healing frequency is 432 hertz. Um, so I started to like, you know, compose actually a lot of things with, with 432 hertz just to see how, how, it, how it sounded. And look, it's, you know, on, on <laughs> with, with my cynical hat on, it's, it, just sounds it sounds obvious it just sounds slightly lower than 440 hertz right um and having then done some research to try and find any kind of like evidence on like the actual healing properties of 432 hertz versus 440 it's you know there's not any uh that i've found anyway i'd, I'd love if any listeners do know please send it to me um and then you start to look at like actually where the debate come from. And it's actually really, it's like really interesting because there was, it relates back to the early 1920s, 1910s, where basically you had 
all these different orchestras from different countries that all had their own tuning systems, right? So, you know, the English system and the British system was slightly higher, and the Italian system was slightly lower, the German system's this, the American system's that. And in a kind of like the, the beginnings of a more globalized world where you had orchestras touring around the world, they needed to be some sort of like agreement on like what the actual tuning system should be. And it, if you, you know, go down a rabbit hole of some of the, the stuff, you will find that you end up with basically the Nazis and how they have um, determined that we, everything, all modern music is tuned at 440 hertz. Um, and certainly the regime at that time, you know, was one of the, the the different organizations, different countries that came and, and nominated 440 hertz. The Americans also did, I believe. And so therefore it was much more, it wasn't to do with like Nazis enforcing some kind of like sonic warfare on, on their audiences and like tuning up slightly higher than maybe the more natural tone of 432, but you know, go to 440, which is, which is a slightly higher tone and whatever that would do to our, to, to our brains and bodies. It doesn't, it seems like that was just taking, it was a little bit of a leap um, and then if you fast forward to the 1980s and, and onwards, there was this kind of rebirth of like this kind of, um, you know, we are all being brainwashed at 440 hertz. Like it's much more natural to be 430 hertz or some other kind of like, you know, tuning frequency. And, and uh, you know, people like Prince even were talking about how like, you know, the, you know, you know, he was always going through his major label kind of like wars and he was, you know, he's talking about tunings and that. And um yeah, it's an, it's an interesting thing to think about, and 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 it's difficult from on the face value just to, to unpack it. I, I think like what I would say is, you know, music works based on relationships, very mathematical, Pythagorean, and, and whatever. So whichever way you want to like start the relationship off and what your fundamental frequency is, you know, all the notes are going to be related to that. The way that music is communicated or even sound therapy is, is it works is based on the relationships between those notes it's not necessarily one specific frequency so i would say that that is the line that i would take you know and I, again if, if anyone has any other further insights that i'm missing here that would be interesting for me to know but but yeah that certainly is to do with that that the re relational value between the two notes you know to create these intervals as i talked about before that then trigger the emotions that that's the much more universal thing trying to find specific frequencies that really kind of connect with the bodies because everybody is different and, and we're all individuals so why you know one person would resonate specifically with one specific frequency at 432 or, or multiple there thereof that doesn't make sense to me um from from my knowledge and understanding of it so yeah um um that's why i've seen on that topic <laughs> that's so interesting that's so interesting and makes that and makes a lot of sense i guess because as you say we are all different and probably like vibrating at very different frequencies and multiple times in our, in the day um so you know i can imagine that actually you know find and yeah absolutely and i think uh, you know we, we hear music through vibrations and, uh, you know, you can feel it on your body and, you know, a deaf person to feel a lot of the vibrations through that and get a lot of satisfaction from that. And, 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 um, you know, I've, I've experienced deaf people going to, to the gigs that I've gone to, because obviously a lot of the clubs that, that I play at, you know, like there's the bass speakers, you know, that are creating these massive, like the impactful kind of like uh, frequencies you can feel on your body and things like that. So, um, yeah, I think it's it's, it's certainly um, 
you know, as ever, probably not um, our societies that we're creating for ourselves are not as inclusive as what they should be in terms of factoring people with hearing impairments. I think, like, what I would say is um, there's there's a writer actually died um, earlier this year, um, R. Murray Schaefer, who is a uh, yeah, an environmentalist and an an uh, ecologist, ecologist, ecologist. You can edit that one out. So Armory Schaefer is an environmentalist, ecologist, um, psychologist, and he did a lot of uh, writing around, um, he's got a book called The Soundscape, Um, and it documents over, you know, a few decades, you know, uh, different elements of our urban soundscape. So, you know, the fact that there's rising noise levels, for example, you know, and he's he's tracked that in different cities about how every year the noise levels of a city gets, gets higher and higher. Um, you know, he's quite good at, at writing kind of very quotable lines. So he'll say things like, you know, we're all destined for universal deafness, you know, if things keep going at the rate that they're going with the rising noise levels of cities. And he'll, you know, advocate for us all to go on a, a, a on a course of ear cleansing where we kind of really start to understand, like, you know, sound, noise in, in our, our, our urban environments. And when you're talking about like urban planning and architecture, uh, architecture uh, um, um, practitioners, and um, any kind of like people that are involved with the design of our of our of our built environments, you know, for them to start thinking about sound and making you know the sound environments conducive to you know us all to live comfortably, but not least people who are deaf or hearing impaired or whatever. Um, that's an important thing we should factor in. And certainly I've found that firsthand, you know, working with architects where, that you know, they haven't really thought about sounds, you know, and, and so many of our spaces have these really kind of like very nice, chic, shiny surfaces that are terrible acoustic properties. You know, they just reflect sound all over the place or whatever. And that is having a detrimental impact on, on, on all of us as a society. Um, I think it's interesting to also then compare... Um, our built environment with 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 nature and the natural world and whatever and um this is something that that really came to to, to bear in the covid times because with covid you know all flights lots of most of the noise i think in our urban environments created through traffic noise and stuff so uh, you know flights and trains and planes and stuff uh and and, and cars and so, so with COVID, that was massively reduced. And i thought it was interesting that what that allowed there to be space for in our kind of um our, our acoustic ecologies um, was was more natural sounds like bird song, for example, and stuff. And the birds started to sound a lot louder. I think we all kind of noticed that. Certainly, I did, um, especially in that you know early phase of the first step of lockdown, which was in March and April. Obviously, the birds are going to be in full voice then, anyway. Um, but the interesting thing was when they studied this, that the bird song actually wasn't. They weren't singing any louder. You know, it was just our perception of them was louder because the noise levels were so much lower in essence. So actually the birds were singing slightly quieter than before, but we could just hear them much clearer because of the the reduction of like just a general like level of um, ambient noise and things like that. And then what that then also meant was that the birds started to be able to like, because they obviously determine their territories and everything through their bird calls and whatever, but that was they had these massively expanded territories because of a... Uh, um, you know their 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 intelligibility of their um, of their calls was 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 heard at a much wider kind of like um, um, circumference or whatever. So it's an interesting thing in the bird community how they would factor in COVID or whatever. But I think like 
since we're on the topic, I think for 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 us um, and for myself, you know, what I'm really interested in is the powerful and positive benefits of nature sounds, birdsong, etc., in combination with um, what we all know about how music has that connection and ability to connect with us, as we talked about, you know, culturally, audibly, you know, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. With the techniques that have been used or are are, are used in in sound therapy to affect uh, a, a listener in, in in a certain way, and that's where I'm creating this 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 new company called Swell, um, which is a combination. I think what we're trying to do is combine, you know, all these these different ways in which sound can be used positively and is used positively, you know, like with, with nature, you know, it's the green prescription thing. It's about like nature-based therapy, forest bathing, et cetera, get out into nature and, you know, and, and feel better. Go back to your point around like, you know, creating some space and being able to get away from your kind of conscious, conscious brain. I mean, yeah. Listening to music actively, you know, being able to set aside time for that, you know, is, is massively powerful. Obviously music can, you know, unlock emotions like very easily. Um, and then as we talked about sound therapy, being able to really kind of like go through a process that with, with, with a certain intention, you know, to, to, to come out the other side and, and, and get positive benefits from that. So for us, it's well, it's like trying to like use that whole span of ways in which sounds kind of affects, um, affects everyone in, 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 in these different ways and, and combine that into, you know, uh, a platform and, and a bit of technology that will be able to deliver that to, to people and make that really accessible to, to all sorts of different people. So that's what we're planning for next year. Um, and yes, it's, it's, it's really exciting to be in this journey at the moment. Really exciting. And I just cannot help, but, um, what I'm thinking about in my mind is just like oh my goodness imagine imagine you know hospitals joined the subscription to to, to swell and like had you know intentional music you know music used in an intentional way because it's it's kind of ironic in a way like I mean I work in an accident and emergency department um and the, the level of noise that is within is within within that space is is very intense and you know you're having to um th- there's multiple alarms going at multiple times there's you know busy waiting rooms there's phones going off the hook we've got tannoys we've got um bleeps it's just a complete cacophony of monitors and bleeps now I'm quite used to it and I've I guess my body has some somewhat been able to block these noises out but I remain very it's, it's amazing how in tune you uh remain to certain alarms so it's you know I, I, it's not always possible to block them out but I can only imagine you know when patients are trying to recover from surgery or from any illness that brings them into hospital in the first place you know what we're often doing in hospital is a lot is giving the patient time with some additional you know antibiotics or or medications um for their body to heal itself the body does a great job of healing itself most of the time um but we're not providing the conditions within the hospital to optimize that restful state in our patients because we've got also a competing interest of keeping 
of, of, of understanding and knowing when people are deteriorating when we need, and when we need to take action. So I'm not sure how there can be a solution to the issue. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, and, and you're absolutely right in saying it's a different, difficult conundrum to solve because I understand fully, you know, you need to be able to hear the alarm calls, you know, from, from the various machines and, uh, you know, so you can react and respond to that. Um, those emergencies are things that, that rule the roost. Um, on the flip side of that, if there was a solution for having, uh, you know, a level of kind of say ambient music throughout, you know, you would you would get people into that, you know, more restful state, you know, activate the parasympathetic nervous system much quicker. So the next step is the NHS. <laughs> That's what we need, Brian. That's what we need. Yep, happy to. <laughs> um. Yeah, so Brian, it's been really interesting to talk to you. And I know you've got some exciting things coming up in the next few weeks. Um, something about a soniferous forest. Can you expand? Yeah, that's right. It's a, it's an installation we're doing in London at uh, a fashion store called Brown's, where they have an immersion room with, with within the building. And they do a lot of kind of wellness type pop-ups and they've given us a space for three months and we're basically turning it into an indoor forest bathing experience um, with our very bespoke sound wellness um, compositions that I've uh, put together where you can basically go into this in, you know, mini indoor forest, um, sit down in a very relaxed kind of like space and put on these amazing headphones. Um, we're working with Bang & Olufsen on the headphones. And we've we've been working with an engineer from Abbey Road Studios to mix very spatially, so it you really feel like the music and sounds are coming around, surround surrounding you, and and yeah, it goes it takes you on a fifteen minute sort of um, sound bath experience if you like. It's not a sound bath, it's but it certainly as we talked about earlier is um, it, it it definitely borrows some ideas from sound therapy and, and sound bathing and things. So it's a combination of like uh, you know actual you know real forest sounds um and, and then kind of like takes you on this journey into hopefully your bit more of your subconscious state um dream state and you can explore um the world that it takes you into in your mind so it, it should be a really interesting interesting one to do and that's as a sort of almost like a precursor to us launching swell swellstudio.io which is going to be our our website and we're working with a lot of different organizations at the moment with a lot of projects coming um through you know it's the, everything from skincare brands um to hotel spas and we've actually got this other interesting project with imperial college in london where we're working with their department studying the effects of psilocybin and other kind of psychedelic drugs on sufferers of chronic pain and other kind of uh, mental illnesses as well so um you know we're involved with delivering uh, our, our Swell app with curated playlists to help um, uh, give a listening experience for people that are given a heavy dose of this psilocybin drug that lasts for about six hours and really takes them on this on this journey into into whatever world they go into then and and hopefully and and obviously they, they have a big track record now of over ten years of studying the the effects of this. So, Hopefully they'll get some positive results and stuff. So it's a really fascinating one for us to, to, to be involved with and obviously apply a lot of our learnings into, into this really kind of um, pioneering kind of study on, on, this, on this drug. Amazing. How 
Well, thank you so much for coming on to discuss all of those projects and share, you know, your your extensive and truly holistic and um, perspectives that you hold um, on sound and wellness. Because I mean, the thing for me is to try and get, as I said, there like more empirical, evidence based stuff around, like, you know, what we're doing in particular, the effectiveness of that, you know, whether all these theories that I'm sort of talking about and research that I've been doing does actually play out in reality, you know. And yeah, just try and get away from all this sort of cycle babble of obviously, in essence, what your podcast is all about. Yeah, 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 exactly. You know, it's really- so I truly hope you enjoyed that episode. And if you are in London, consider heading to the Cineferous Forest to experience Brian's magical music for yourself. And don't forget to check out his new wellness sound app, Swell, coming out really soon. I hope you all have a holistically healthy week, folks. And for anyone in need of some Dr. Body, Mind, Soul medicine, please consider coming to the new Witch Women's Circle, 21st of March. It's going to be really special. 